Hi, this is the Family Church of Connecticut podcast. I'm Abe. My wife, Mika, and I are the co-pastors, and this podcast is for sharing the sermons from our weekly Sunday services, which happen in Dana Hall on the University of Bridgeport campus in Bridgeport, Connecticut. We'd love to hear from you. What are you doing today while you listen to the podcast? You can find us at familychurchofconnecticut.org or on Facebook at Family Church of Connecticut. Today I'll be sharing the sermon given on June 10th by the Hempowitzes, Dr. Christine Hempowitz and Reverend Christoph Hempowitz. They spoke about tribal messiahship and their experiences with that. So, here it is. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It would be nice if more people were sitting down here, but I get it. These chairs are really hard to get in and out of. So anyway, hi in the back, hi in the front, hi everywhere. Um, also, hi to everybody in the future who's watching this on Facebook. I'd just like to start with a reading from Chung Sung Young. Until now, you may have thought that home church is just an institution of the Unification Church, but that is not so. Home church in the Unification Church is your personal heavenly kingdom. It is your kingdom, not anyone else's, but yours. After Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven, where did he go? He went the way of the cross. The keys to the kingdom of heaven are the home church movement. In other words, we must establish tribes, and it is our mission through home church to present a model of the tribal system. Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Matthew 18, 18. If we don't bind home church, if we don't make it happen, we cannot go to the kingdom of heaven. And we also have a short video clip. The following is the audio of that video clip. If you'd like to see the video clip, there will be a link in the show notes. We need tribes. Does that sound strange? Let's demystify this whole thing about tribes. Tribes are cool. We need them, we want them. But what do we usually think of in the West when we say tribes? Most of us first think of something primitive, like some less than civilized band of people who have to work together just for their own survival. We think of tribes as a primitive step of societal evolution, starting with the individual and then the family and clan and tribe, ultimately towards the development of our modern society, which hopefully protects the rights of the individual. Okay, that's great, but many of us probably left to imagine that tribes are unnecessary in the modern world. You now even hear people challenging the importance of the traditional family, which is total nonsense. But just like the family, tribes too are an integral element of a healthy society. Tribes are not primitive. In fact, the most primitive concept of all is the idea that we can do it all ourselves. We simply weren't designed that way. It's natural for us to form links beyond the family and supportive relationships within communities. This has played a huge role in the advancement of religions as well. Did you ever hear the term oikos? 
It's a Greek term to describe household or extended family, which is really your greatest sphere of influence. Churches grow through these connections. It's the most natural environment for growth because it's centered around our primary relationships. This is how Christianity flourished as well. Christianity's most rapid advancement was when it was spreading through villages and towns, catalyzed by people's personal testimonies and family connections. Today is the same. Research shows that up to 90% of church growth comes through the connections with friends and relatives. This is huge because the next most successful way for churches to grow is through small group education and that accounts for only up to 6% of church growth. In third place, walk-ins, which accounts for up to about 4% of church growth. Now, it's not to say that the various ministries don't play an important role in people's transformation, but the overwhelming evidence points to the importance of our primary relationships. Connecting to the people we know is the most natural way to grow. It's exactly why Father's encouraging us to become tribal messiahs. In Seth Godin's book, Tribes, a book that will further help break any primitive assumptions, he explains that a tribe is a group of people connected to one another, connected to a leader, and connected to an idea. When boiled down, he's suggesting that there are three main things needed for a tribe to exist. Leadership, a shared interest, and a way to communicate. Tribes like this exist all around us. Chances are we're probably already in one sort of a tribe or another. If you think about it, Apple is a tribe, or Starbucks fans are part of a tribe. Your local PTA is a tribe. This shows our tendency to follow and believe in an idea and work together towards it. So tribe building is not just some weird thing that unificationists have to do. Being part of a tribe appeals to some fundamental human nature. More than building a church, we're building a nation. We're building one family under God, and to do that, we need tribes. All right. So a little bit of explanation. Why are we here? So we are not here to kind of brag about what we, have, what we are doing and asking you to do the same. No. We are here because we were inspired last week by Keiko and Lucimar, the testimonies, okay? And mostly part of our sharing will be how... Um, <laughs> how many mistakes we make, you know, and how really God is, God is guiding us, you know. So they're really funny, and I hope that you'll pick on that, but this is, this is the point we're trying to make. This is not bragging and asking you to do the, what we do. This is for us to encourage you to look what you can do, okay. So at, at the back of the bulletin, there's a space, okay. So at the end of our talk, we'll, leave you, we'll give you some time you talk, and get some inspiration and write it down, okay? So then you can, you can have it as an inspiration for the next step. It's in the back of the, of the program, okay? So that's from me. I uh, really like that video. I don't know about you all. I think it dispels some of the myths, right? <laughs> Damien really has this way of personalizing a realness of what seems very abstract. That's what I like about it. Um, and, you know, because that's part of been my question. We've been hearing about tribal messiahship for years now. It's not a new idea. And this won't be the last time we talk about it. Um, but one thing um, I realized that's been critical for me, and I suspect probably for most of us, 
is what is tribal messiahship mean to me? Like, how does it look to me, Christine Hempowitz? How does it look to my husband and I? Um, how does it look to our family, right? In, in many ways, um, I think you'll recognize that you do have a group of relatives and friends. And so that is, if you choose, you can label it tribe, I guess. Um, but like Damien said, we tend, at least I do, I tend to think of tribe as a more primitive thing, which, you know, I'm sorry to say it, it isn't. And um, just as an aside, one very interesting experience we had about nine months ago, 10 months ago, was there was a woman who had come to do some PhD work here in Bridgeport, um, and I met her. Her name is Saltanat, and um, she's from Kazakhstan, right, because my boss goes to Kazakhstan to do work with a university there. And in any anyway, I introduced her to Guljana, who's Kazakh, but from Uzbekistan. And you started talking, and then you invited Saltana to your house that day. And we were going to dinner to their house at night. And so anyway, she invited Saltana to her house. She goes in the house. Sorry, I'm, I'm telling your story. Saltana goes in the house, meets Guljana's mom. And the first thing they ask is, what tribe are you from? Because in Kazakhstan, they still have tribes. And they found out they're from the same tribe. Can you imagine? So she meets her relative here in Bridgeport, Connecticut. But they still have tribes. And I realize uh, what a wonderful sense it is to be able to identify with um, a system of a bigger family network. We don't really have that here in the United States. We, we talk about our ancestors. We talk about where we came from. But because this country is a country of immigrants, we don't really have tribal systems here kind of in, in that way that you'll see in other nations. So again, for me, it's like, what is a tribe? What is my tribe? And one thing that I had thought about um, in time was I realized, and, and I'm still, uh, this really is kind of how it resonates to me is, and, and it kind of uh, plays off of what Father had said, is who do I want to be in heaven with? Of course, that's presuming I would be in heaven, but <laughs> not so sure about that. But who do I want to spend eternity with? Let's just put it that way. And I realize, to me, relationships are, and, and the people I love are the people I want to spend eternity with. And so when I meet people and I make relationships with people, that's kind of how I look at it, is who do I want to spend eternity with? Um, and of course, you want to spend eternity with people you love. Uh, one thing I realized is that love, who do I want to spend eternity with and who do I love, is not a static group of people. Of course, I mean, honestly, I'm looking in this room and there's people I love right here. Hi, Gladys. Hi, Guljana. Two people I'll just point out, sorry. I love a lot of people here, but we met them in the process of tribe building. <laughs> Um, and so I realize it's not just a matter of who do I already know. It's really the opportunity to enlarge my kingdom of heaven. I hope that you want to be in my kingdom of heaven. And I hope that you want me to be in your kingdom of heaven. That's kind of how I look at tribe building. All right. So a little bit of uh, background. We recently... Uh, claimed, do you remember 1960, no, 1997, we did 165, right? 
And last week, I felt there was some confusion here. It's like, what we're doing again is same, same, we're repeating the same thing. We are not. When we did 165, I remember very clearly, we did it very grudgingly. Well, we, we did it just to do the number. We didn't do anything after we finished. We said, it's done. Yeah? We went home. We did different things, you know, but we never bless anybody. We never take any picture like what we did before in 165. Yeah? We just did it for the sake of two parents, and that was it. You know? There was some kind of a will commitment to it. Okay? Now it's different. Now it's artistic commitment. You know, now we do it because we have fun. We, we engineer a way to have a fun and to make it happen. And we will share a little bit with you. But I just want to say this point that uh, connecting to it is completely different experience. It's 180 degree different experience. That's what it means finding your groove, by the way, finding what it is for you. Um, and but let me just clarify. My husband did a lot of follow-up with the 165. <laughs> we did. But it, I think really what he's saying, and I certainly felt this way, is I didn't really understand the, I didn't understand the gift that true parents were giving us when they asked us to do the 165. So I saw it more as a, as a dutiful activity as opposed to a gift that I was being given. And I think that's something I see differently now. Um, and one thing that uh, Damian Dunkley has said that really also resonates with me is that you, you have jobs, you have titles, you have positions, right? You have careers. But Tribal Messiah is your lifelong gift. It's the gift true parents have given us. It's a title that never goes away. Just like a title of husband and wife is yours. A title of parents and children, a title of friendship, of family is a, a forever title. It's not a fleeting here and there of position or mission. Um, when we had, uh, I don't know if you all are aware, but we moved back to our house up Park Avenue last August. We had rented it out for two years to the Berrytown College kids, and they were graduating, most of them. And so we had put the house on the market actually to sell it. And we had thought, well, you know, we don't need the big house anymore. We'll, we'll live where we were living down here on Park Avenue. And uh, something happened in our family. Uh, my husband's uh, sister and brother-in-law, who were considerably older than us, um, were in a situation where I realized their, their health is not good, and they're living in New York City. But um, his sister had gone to rehab um, after she had been ill in the hospital. And the first night in rehab, um, she was uh, a attacked by one of the workers there. Now, I'm not saying this happens to every rehab place or nursing home or, you know, anybody, but an employee hit her and she had this huge black eye. My sister can be annoying. Uh, she could be annoying, yes, this is true. Um, this is true that she can be very annoying. But it really shocked me. It just shocked me. And I thought, we can't put them ever in a nursing home. This, this was my conclusion. Now, by the way, for those of you who work in nursing, nursing homes or rehab centers, I'm not criticizing you. I'm just telling you. So anyway, um, this was kind of my reaction was, oh my gosh, well, if they would move with us, we need more space. And so we took the house off the market and we moved back. And uh, thank you, Gladys. Gladys agrees with that. Okay. 
yes, my sister-in-law is not easy to be with. And uh, somebody said to me, oh, you're going to regret this. And I thought, maybe I will, but just somehow in my heart, I can't fathom any other situation. And they know they're invited. They haven't moved in yet, but we're waiting. I just felt like God gave us another chance in our house, in our neighborhood, with our family. And so, um, so we moved back. Now, one thing we had done down here was we had taken walks uh, around campus. We had also ridden bikes through Seaside Park every night, but then when it was too cold, we started walking through campus, even in the dead of winter. And I missed those evening walks. So we were trying to find a walk around our neighborhood. And, you know, we tried a few things, because first we weren't doing any walking, and I missed it. So then I said, okay, let's find something. And we did a couple of routes, and then we ended up finding one. Just seemed like the night we did that one, we really liked it. We do this after dinner. And so it's about a mile. So it's a mile around from our house around in our neighborhood. And uh, we, so we started walking every day, and we're holding hands. It's still pretty cold out, so we're not seeing a lot of people. We're hearing a lot of dogs barking. <laughs> but um, the dogs are barking, and so we bark back at the dogs. My husband loves to bark at the dogs, yeah. My speciality. <laughs> One dog in particular. But we met a lot of dogs. Um, then on, we have met a lot of dogs. Then on one uh, first, one of the first warm days when we were out walking, there was a guy outside on our street, and we kind of said hi, and he said hi back, and we started talking. And his name's Santo, and he is a real character. I mean, he is just like uh, no holds barred, says what he thinks, just very genuine, very real, not a argumentative kind of person, just kind of free spirit. And so we were talking to Santo, and, and uh, somehow, we, anyway, we go back home, and it's kind of like, wow. It was just this really great feeling talking to him, just this, wow. But you know how crazy our weather's been, rain, cold, right? So there are nights where we're the only ones out when we're walking. But anyway, so we, you know, but as the weather's kind of been better, and we've seen people out, people are working on their lawns, they're walking their dog, whatever they're doing, um, getting in their car, getting out of their car, We'll say hi, and, and we'll kind of talk to people. So we've kind of gotten to know not the majority of our neighbors by far, but a fair so. amount of them. And, uh, you know, so we just started walking and talking. And one thing I realized was how enjoyable it is to actually meet the people who live, you know, in your extended neighborhood. Um, I'm sure all of you have met neighbors, so I'm not suggesting you haven't or that you don't even do the same thing. But for me, it's interesting because I'll go home from work and I'm like dead tired after dinner. All I want to do is just crawl somewhere and, you know, right? Can anybody relate to that? Like after you've worked all, oh, thank you. Okay, it's not only me. Good. Thank you. Um, but we'll go on this walk, right? And when we're talking to people like that, it really actually it energizes me. You can ask my husband. I'll come home like a different person than when I left. Not every night, but some nights definitely I really get energized. Um, so anyway, we're doing these walks, and we realize, first of all, we just say, hey, you know, we're your neighbors. Point out the house where we live, which is easy because it's on a stoplight. And um, we'll tell our neighbors, you know. And we just say, you know, we'd like to meet our neighbors. we like to, you know, meet you. And... Almost inevitably, the people will say back to us, oh, so nice to meet neighbors. I really wish we could meet our neighbors more. We actually met one person who knew every neighbor on the block. That was great. But, um, you know, there's a, there's a lost sense of neighbor, neighborliness 
um, sometimes. And I think people really long for that. And so then we're walking and talking, and then my husband realized, oh my gosh, we have to have another block party. We, we, before we had moved out of the house, we had about two or three block parties um, in a series of years where normally it's just a block party, but we actually invited the whole neighborhood where you get permission from the police to block off your street for a certain amount of hours, and then you can just have a party in the street. And so we'd actually done that. Maybe some of you came to one of our block parties. I know Gladys did. That's actually how we met you, Gladys, <laughs> was inviting you to the block party. Anyway, right, that's how my husband met her. And, you know, we got to know Gladys, by the way, this is years ago, but her mom was still alive. She was nursing her mom as she was terminally ill. Her daughter still lived with her. She wasn't married yet, but she was engaged, remember? We've known Gladys a long time. Um, and it started out actually by inviting her to one of our block parties. So anyway, we realized oh, we have to have another block party. So we started telling people we're going to, and everybody gets really excited about this block party. It won't be till September, but everybody gets excited about this block party. And I realize it's because people are looking for a sense of community. It's like Damien says in the video, and it's not that it would be the only community. We all belong to organizations. We all have circles of friends. We all have um, issues or something that we're committed to and we invest our time in. But there's something about um, that sense of neighborhood, at least where we are, that resonates with us and resonates with a lot of other people. So anyway, we've done that. And we even, um, one Wednesday evening, we were walking around. And now, in, in addition to going around the perimeter, we kind of zig in and out of at least one, one uh, two streets, because there's about six, six or eight blocks that we go up and down. And there's long, it's like two to three block lengths the other way. So we're zigging in and out, because we realized we weren't meeting the people in the middle. So anyway, we're doing that. And so we're one Wednesday evening, we were walking. And I guess that Sunday before, we had gone past that house. And there was a party in the house. And we had said hello to the people who were gathered outside. And we were chit-chatting with them. And I don't remember what the party was for. It was an engagement party or something. And uh, we didn't meet the owner of the house, but we met the out-of-town relatives. So then the neighbor, uh, sorry, so then we were going back. And we stopped. And we go, oh, we met your family the other night. And we're talking to the man who's there. He goes, oh, yeah, I heard about you. I know you're going to have the block party, right? So we're, we're talking. Well, come to find out, he's a life coach in Norwalk, but he's also a pastor of a church in Stanford. And we were like, wow, we didn't know we had a pastor in our neighborhood. And we had seen another car that said pastor on it on another block, so we, we haven't met that pastor yet. Um, but it was just interesting to talk to him, especially because he said, I'm not supposed to be here now. I'm playing hooky. I'm supposed to be leading the Bible study at my church tonight. But I just thought, you know, it's such a nice day. I'm going to go home tonight and have somebody else lead the Bible study. <laughs> Of course, all I could think of was, right, that's what you think, right? I realize that what happens on our walks is not just by chance, that because we're doing this every night, I guess spirit world gets really excited. Um, one last uh, little story was there's the people who live across the street from us on Taft Avenue. Well, they're on Park, but they're on the corner like us. Uh, we used to know the family who had owned that house for years, but they had sold the house and moved out And while we were gone. And so a new family moved in. It's actually a three-family building. And um, my husband had met the man who lives there and the man who owns the house. And I'd kind of met them, but he had talked to them more. 
my husband was out of town one day, and I said, okay, I'll do the walk without him, right? So I'm doing the walk. And I noticed they were having a big family gathering, some kind of gathering they were cooking outside on the back porch. And so when I started my walk, I thought, boy, wouldn't it be nice to talk to them? So I go all the way around the block, and I'm the big walk, right, the mile walk, and I come back, and I see them, and I look up, and the man who lives there, the house is owned by his brother, but the man and his wife who live there, his name is Lewis, he's like, like this. So I, so I go up to see them, right? His parents had just come from Ecuador. They're, they're from Ecuador originally. The rest of his brothers and sisters all live here, but the parents live in Ecuador, and they had come. He goes, oh, you've got to meet my parents, right? So I'm meeting his parents from Ecuador. He takes me in the house, and I'm meeting him, and there's all these people around. I don't know who's who, but there's a lot of people around. And I just had this thought in me, oh, my gosh. Now, this never happens to me, I might add. But I just thought, oh, my gosh. This might be the only chance these people ever have to get the blessing of, you know, our blessing, true parents' blessing. It just like was like, like this in me. And I was telling them, he's translating because not everybody speaks English well. And, uh, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what if this is it? And I said, you know, this um, blessing, uh, eternal blessing that from God is really, you know, something that is just so important to us, to my husband and I. And they knew my husband, or some of them did. And, uh, and I almost started crying. I just thought, you know, I, can I share this with you? And, and Lewis, who, who lives in the house, he's so, just such a warm-hearted person. He goes, oh, yes. And I'm thinking, I don't have anything with me. I've got to run home and get it all and come back. And that's what I did. And in the end, there were seven couples there. So I didn't know who was a couple. He did. So he's going, oh, go get them. Because some are in the backyard, some are in the garage, some are over here, right? So he's pulling the ball in to the house so I can do this. And I kept thinking, I wish my husband's here, but he wasn't. But um, but it was just like one of those magical moments. And then later on in the afternoon, because they're doing this cookout, right? Lewis comes running across to our back door. And he's bringing plate. Oh, first they gave me a plate of food before I left. They were really good. Then he comes over with all this cooked food. And he's like, here, oh, oh, please take this cooked food. So anyway, I took it. It took us about three days to get through all the cooked food. Um, it was just one of those kind of magical experiences that you have. And uh, anyway, when we see him, when we're, when we're walking, he always goes, oh, you're walking again. We've become known as the couple who walks around the neighborhood holding hands. Apparently, a lot of people notice this. They're watching. Yeah, they're watching. But um, he yells out. He'll, he'll go, one night we were walking, and he goes, Mama! He's looking at me. He goes, Mama! And then another time, the other day we were walking out, and he goes, Familia! <laughs> right? Just such a warm-hearted person like this, and uh, just so friendly. So. so what started as a basic walk for, for health yeah, after, after, after last meal turned into some kind of a spiritual search for, for the community, right? So at one point, we realized that we, we will meet some good people. So we decided, OK, let's take a holy wine with us, OK? So first day, actually, we just. <laughs> We just got this fancy, fancy bag, okay? So we're walking, yeah? We're walking, and on the corner where we normally turn left, this girl comes from the other side, yeah? And her eyes are like this, you know? And she sees the bag, and she said, oh, I work for Whole Foods. 
So, the, so then we tell her about it because I know that she's from the area we don't go normally. So I, I explain, okay, we're gonna have a block party here, okay? So can I bring my friends? Can I bring my coworkers? Can I bring this and that? So she, she wrote her name here. Her name is Asia and her telephone number, you know? So, and then we go next day or, no, no, say, same day. We, we go by a different house and it's this lady that we knew from before, yeah? yeah. And, and she said to me, what's in the bag? <laughs> so I opened the bag. I said, well, we have this holy wine from our church, you know, and I explained a little bit, but, you know, we're a little bit dense, so we kind of left them there, and we're going home, yeah? But actually, after two blogs, I said, man, this is so unusual. <laughs> How many times people ask you what's in your bag, right? <laughs> so we go back. We bless them. We bless her and her friends. No, her friends. No, the friends didn't get blessed, yeah? But we bless her, and she's happy. Everybody's happy. We walk home and we are happy too. No, no, next block, actually, there was the first day of that 40 day. Uh, you remember Damien started the uh, challenge, 40 day challenge. Yeah, that was the first day. So, next block, there's this guy cutting roses. So, I call him, hey, now we start talking and we bless him too. We met him for the first time. He didn't know anything, but we bless him. So, like a good start of the, of the condition. But just to say, I'm saying that, you know, that it is, we didn't know have what we're doing. You know, it is like spirit was guiding us. It's like walking, it's like on a bicycle, yeah? You can stay all your life on the bicycle and you can never go anywhere, yeah? But minute you stop pedaling even slowly, you first you get, you know, kind of wobbly, then bicycle goes when, where it's want to go, you don't have a control, but eventually you go somewhere, you know? So our message today will be, a little bit later, but just to do anything. And we have some recipe for you, some suggestions, but whatever. Basically, look what you can do, you know, and, st and I, I just, we have to finish, right? So, so I, yeah, just before I came here, I saw this short video by, by Martin Luther King Jr. And in that he talks about dignity of man and different things, you know, but at the end he says, if you cannot fly, run. If you cannot run, Walk. If you cannot walk, crawl. By all means, keep on moving. <laughs> yeah. Boy, there's not much to add to that, is there? Anyway, just wanted to share our experiences with you. Um, they are real experiences. I mean, these are genuine people that we are building, I believe, are building real relationships with. I hope they feel the same way. Um, the man who was cutting his roses, Eric, he had these big eyes. Now, we walked past that house so many times, and nobody was ever out. That was the first time anybody was ever out. And, uh, you know, but he was so interested and so receptive. I mean, we're talking about if we found out he's a landscaper, and, you know, different things. And um, he and his wife have been married about four years now. When we told him we had been married, I don't know, 30, how long have we been married? 20, 75 couples? 30-something? 30, 30 what? 30-something. 36 years, thank you. Okay, you know, who's counting when it's eternity, uh, right? That's what I always think. Uh, when we told him we had been married for 36 years, he was like, wow. I mean, he was so inspired just to know us. We tend to look at ourselves and we're kind of like, yeah, what are, okay, he doesn't look at himself this way, but I don't see us as anything special sometimes, I'm sorry. Um, but, you know, to other people, maybe we are. 
Um, one of the interesting things about this walk is, as Mika said, my husband and I are very, very different, and we are. We're really different. <laughs> oh, Gladys says so too. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Gladys. Uh, we are really different. Um, what I think um, is nice about our walk is neither one of us overpowers the other one. And so we just kind of enjoy being together. We sing silly songs. Sometimes we chant. Uh, my husband likes to whisper, John L. Cook. And I go, tribal messiah. So we're chanting this around the neighborhood, right? John L. Cook, tribal messiah. Separation USA. one, tribal messiah, USA, tribal messiah. <laughs> uh, and then the dogs, of course, and we bark at the dogs. He made me promise to bark at one when he was gone. We actually met the family through the dog because we noticed the family was out one night. It's this big St. Bernard behind this fence. We, we walked up, we go, we look at your dog every night. And that's how we met them. And this other lady we met, she has little dogs. And she has this fence. So it's this wooden fence. And there's these little holes cut out in the lower part of the fence, about four parts of the fence. And these little dogs, right? So we go by, and, you know, and the dogs inevitably are barking at us. And I thought, what are these, dachshunds? I, I don't know. They're very little. And I, you can tell those holes were cut intentionally in the fence for the dogs. So then one night, but well, we'd never seen the lady. Her name's uh, Lucia. So we'd never met Lucia, right? And then one night, she was working on her lawn, and we said, oh, you're the owner of the dogs. Well, she invited us in. You know, she wants us to come back and have coffee. She introduced all the dogs. And the funny thing, well, there's four of them. The funny thing is, right, these dogs sound vicious <laughs> through this little fence. But she opens the gate, we walk in, and they're just very friendly little dogs. Um, so it was just kind of, yeah, the dogs. What can I say about dogs? So um, in any case, um, that's just kind of been our experience is meeting these people. So now when we're walking, oh, where's Lily, the lady we met once who's walking up and down this one block? Or, you know, I, I actually have put in my phones the names of people because I can't remember who everybody is just off the top of my head. But it's like meeting your friends. You know, when you go around, it's just like meeting them and saying hi. And that really is a sense of community that I have never had in that, in that, in that house the 20-something years that we lived there until now. So we really look forward to taking a walk. Um, so one thing I wanted to say is um, that's kind of been our story, and that's our little testimony of sorts today. But I want to give you an opportunity to think about what your groove is or what it might be. Because it's not ours. We found our own. You're welcome to walk around unless you are. Whatever you do or you've thought to do, I guess what I wanted to say is think what you think resonates with you. I walk with my husband, but maybe there's somebody you want to go with. I, I do think it's better if you go with somebody only because I found it lonely when I was doing it by myself. Plus, this one guy followed me in his car. It was weird. But anyway. Um, but I would think, what's, you know, what's your group? What is tribal messiah? What is me? Who am I as a tribal messiah? So we just want to give you a few minutes to think about it. And please talk to somebody near you about it. Just, just a few minutes, and then we'll, we'll close. Mm -hmm. And get some ideas, OK? So the point was, if you're alone, you find a friend, who, friend who would, whom you would like to do it with, you know, because not, a, not everybody has free after dinner or whatever, you know? Just find somebody that yeah. you, and not necessarily walking, whatever it is. Three minutes. Three minutes. Three minutes. Please take a moment now and pause this podcast and think about 
what you can do and what you are doing and your sphere of influence. Go ahead, you can pause the podcast right now and uh, take a few moments. I hope that was a nice few minutes for you to talk with somebody. So the, the very simple conclusion is, just like each one of us is unique, each one of you is a unique reflection of the image of our heavenly parents. There will never be another you. There was not somebody before you. You are unique. Tribal messiahship for you is unique. I think there is no one way. I think intentionally uh, this world community, family, will come together when each one of us is an expression of who we are as unique people. So I think that's uh, what I'll leave you with is there's no wrong way. It's your way. And it's not your way or the highway. It's your way. And your way and my way may be similar, and they may be completely different. But I just encourage you to try. As my husband said, you know, so you get on a bike the first time you're learning to ride. It's wobbly. Maybe you fall down. You know, we make mistakes. I'm sure we've missed opportunities. I'm sure we've missed opportunities to meet some really wonderful person because we just walked by. Who knows? There's some nights I'm inspired. Other nights I'm dragging and yawning. Who knows? But it's a process. And my conclusion is enjoy the journey. Thank you. Could you pray? Okay. And a last word. I realize about tribal Messiah is a transformation of heart. You know, because even if somebody else build a kingdom of heaven and I'm selfish, I cannot get there. There's no place for me. You know, when I joined the church, I realized, oh, Father's going to build a kingdom of heaven. I'm going to watch it. How stupid is that? You know? <laughs> even if he did, I wouldn't be included. So the tribe of Messiah is a place for us to transform our heart. And it takes effort, takes time. Makes, takes mistakes, takes everything. It's like a learning process, okay? So we just want to encourage you to stop crawling or running or flying. Whatever, let's, let's pray. Our most beloved heavenly parents, we are so very, very blessed by our true parents, the Messiah being on earth right now. It's so unbelievable that we could have met them, that we know them, that we know what, what is the deal, we know where the providence is going. So many people commit suicide even last week, some famous people commit suicide, and I feel mostly because they don't know what's happening. They don't have a purpose, they don't have a direction, they don't have a basic understanding of the reality. So we are really, really, really blessed that we understand that we are given what we are given, and we I pray that brothers and sisters, all of us, we can be guide, we can be strong enough, you can guide us so we can find our groove, we can find our niche, we can find our activity that brings us joy, and ultimately this activity will bring you joy and we'll, we'll be able together with you, we'll, build, we'll be able to build our kingdom of heaven on earth. So we're grateful for this opportunity, we're grateful for the, for the uh, wonderful Church of Connecticut, Family Church of Connecticut, we're grateful for one and us that we can support each other in this journey, and we offer everything to you, asking for your guidance, 
in this process and your protection on true parents, and especially now in, in, in uh, there's a possibility for unification of South Korea, so we truly want to support this process. I offer this prayer in gratitude as Chris and Christine Hempel with Bless and True Family. Adieu. Thank you very much. So that's going to do it for this week's podcast. I hope you found that helpful. There was quite a lot in there. I was really inspired just listening to how they were trying to impact their neighborhood and just build relationships with the people that they basically live with. So until I talk to you again, God bless you and have a great week.